Please turn to the, okay, book of Luke, book of Luke. That's right, we are going to be dealing with our, I think it's the fourth, it will be the final message on four verses that we're just sort of hovering uh, on here. We uh, take the word very seriously here. The word is like a multi-leveled uh, treasure minefield. And, and uh, there's things you can get on the surface if you just gloss over it. But there's, if you hover over it and chew on it, other things begin to arise and other nuggets of truth come forward. And that's what we're doing here as a community. We're just going through the book of Luke very slowly, chewing on stuff and um, uh, seeing what rises to the surface. And so... This morning, in the next 40 minutes, I'm going to talk, uh, I'm going to finish up a message I started last week that arises out of this verse on kingdom parenting. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 13 through 17, and I'm uh, reading from the TNIV version. By the way, if you don't own a Bible, uh, we want to give you one. So we have Bibles in the gathering area by the, at the visitor's table, the TNIV version. And so if you don't have a Bible, uh, you can pick one up there. The angel said to Zechariah, now the angels Gabriel and Zechariah is in the inner court uh, offering up incense, and the angel says to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He's going to be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's going to take a Nazarite vow, which means he's never going to take wine or fermented drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord." Uh, we, we mentioned just last week how it's interesting that when the kingdom shows up, this is the inauguration of the kingdom, um, when the kingdom of God shows up as, as Jesus is coming to plant this in the world, one of the first things that happen, according to this passage, is that the hearts of parents are turned towards their children. So this morning I want to talk on kingdom parenting part two. I want to pray for this message, and could I get some people who will be my intercessors throughout this message, just keep me covered in prayer that the message will have all the power and authority it's supposed to have. Good. Thanks. Father, our heart's desire here is to be a, a, a community of spiritually empowered people who live your kingdom, think your kingdom, breathe your kingdom, do your kingdom. We want to be kingdom in our parenting, kingdom in our marriages, kingdom in our neighborhoods. Lord, use this message, God, to further that. Lord, we're called to be a bridge, a, a community bridge. And we want to bridge people to God and bridge couples to one another and bridge parents to their kids and bridge kids to their parents and just tear down every wall that, that would possibly separate us from one another. Uh, Father, use this message. We pray in Jesus' name to accomplish that, to accomplish that, Lord. We don't trust wisdom for that. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to take over and to have your way, that your word would not return void. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen, amen. Review, last week we talked about two principles, the first two principles of kingdom parenting. Principle number one is if you're gonna be a kingdom parent, parent your child as the Lord would have you parent them, you gotta have a life. You gotta get a life. And the life you gotta get is found in Jesus Christ. Your worth, your significance, your value, your security has got to come from Jesus Christ. Because if your life isn't get gotten from Jesus Christ, you're going to have to spend your life trying to get it from somewhere because everybody 
everybody's hungry for life. In fact, if you're not getting your life from Christ, it's likely you'll be trying to get your life from your kids. If you're really going to be a kingdom parent, the first non-negotiable principle is that you've got to get your life from Christ. Develop a relationship with Christ that feeds you. That your sense of being fully alive comes from your relationship with him. So you don't need to be trying to get it by how much you own or how good you look or who recognizes your accomplishments or how well your kids behave. You get your life from Christ. Principle number two that we talked about last week. Couples, those of you who are married parents, um, you need to get a life. You need to have a life together. The kids can't be your life. They're not supposed to be your life. You're supposed to have a relationship together. You got married not just so you could have kids and pay bills. You got married because you love each other. You want to be around each other. You want to enjoy each other. But I'm telling you, if you don't spend time cultivating that, you won't always be enjoying each other, loving each other, celebrating marriage. Uh, It tends to fall apart. What your kids need to see is the love of God modeled in the relationship between a husband and a wife together. Uh, that they have a life. And one of the best things you can do is to say, kids, mom and dad are going to go away for a couple of days to a hotel. Why? Because we love one another. And, and parents need time together, apart from the kids. It's a non-negotiable. It really is. Uh, no ifs, ands, or buts. You may have just had triplets. I understand. Life gets profoundly busy. But it, it, it is a non-negotiable that somehow, some way, you've got to, as a highest priority, uh, get away now and then to cultivate your relationship together. So now we move on to principle number three. Kingdom parenting principle number three. Principle number three, also non-negotiable. You've got to break the domino effect of generational curses. To break the domino effect of generational curses. You know what dominoes are. You push one down and they're all in the line and just one pushes down another, that pushes down another, that pushes down another, that pushes down another. A lot of family systems are just like that. In fact, I believe that To a certain degree, most family systems are like that. Uh, Things get passed on from generation to generation. Parent to child who becomes the parent who gives it to the child who becomes the parent who gives it to the child, and it goes on and on and on and on. Dysfunction and sin get handed down. Now here's how it works. You've heard the slogan perhaps, wounded people wound people. Wounded people wound people. And so wounded parents tend tend to wound their kids who become wounded parents who wound their kids who become wounded parents who wound their kids. And the dominoes just keep on falling from one generation to another. If you're going to be a kingdom parent and turning your heart to your kids is going to be a healthy thing, you've got to depollute your heart and break the domino curses that you've inherited as being born into a family system. My stepmother, I've shared it a number of times, um, My stepmother was abusive in terms of her forms of punishment, relatively normal otherwise, but she would snap when she got angry and some very sick things happened. And I just thought she was crazy and hated me growing up, but when I got older I learned that as a matter of fact that's exactly how she was punished by her mother and exactly how her mother was punished by her mother and so on and so on and who knows how it got started. Uh, parental patterns tend to be repeated from one generation to another for better or worse. Consider any sex abuser that you might know and, and chance, the odds are that they themselves were sexually abused. There's not a formula here. There's always exceptions, but it's more likely than not that they were abused. Take a person who's prone towards violence towards their kids and abusive towards their kids. Uh, it's more likely than not that they themselves were victims of violence. Take parents who tend to abandon their kids or get emotionally distant from their kids. It's more likely than not that that's exactly how their parents were towards them. Um, 
There's a family that I know where it, it, there's at least three generations of this. There could be more, but there's three generations that I know of where uh, at some point in the kids, uh, in, 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 the, in the upbringing of the children, around the age of 12, 13, at the latest 15, the relationship just falls apart and they stop talking to each other. And in some cases, it's gone on the rest of their life like that. And it's a pattern. What happens is this is one of those families where you leverage your relationship on an issue. Uh, I don't agree with what you're doing, and I'm not going to talk to you until, uh, uh, until you change. Uh, you're not invited over here until you change. I'm not going to have any relationship with you until you change. And that goes until the parent dies. And then it's repeated the next generation. Th this is rather typical. Parental patterns tend to be passed down. The dominoes keep on, on, on falling. And the interesting and sad thing is that most of the people who carry on the, the curse of the generational dominoes, most of them hate it. I can't. Why do I find, why does this happen every generation uh, and, and they don't like what they're doing, and yet they find that they can't help it. It feels like instinct to them. They can't see any other solutions. What's happening is the curse is being handed down. Uh, the domino effect is happening in our families. And there are some people here this morning that are part of a domino chain of shame. Uh, others are part of a domino chain, maybe of sexual abuse or just of violence. Some are a, a part of a domino chain of, of parenting, of, uh, parents who have been distant. Some are a part of a domino chain of alcoholism. Some are part of a domino chain where everything looks very good, but there's deep, dark secrets uh, hidden. Some are part of a domino chain where it looks good, but there's just nothing real. There, there's just no relationships whatsoever. The curses tend to be handed down. I think this is what the Bible means when in Exodus 20 it says that the sins of the fathers are visited on the third and fourth generation. The Lord visits the children, uh, the iniquity of the parents, on the children to the third and fourth generation. Now, I, I used to be real troubled by that verse because it seems so unjust. Like God's going to take, well, you know, take out on a great-great-great-grandchild what a, what a dad did. I don't think that's what the verse means, though. Uh, in fact, there are places where the Bible says the exact opposite of, of the idea that God punishes great-great-grandchildren for what the great-great-grandparents did. For example, in Exodus 18, uh, the Lord himself says, A child shall not suffer for the iniquity of the parent, nor the parent suffer for the iniquity of the child. The righteousness of the righteous shall be his own, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be his own. And throughout the Bible, you get presented to you a God who is, who is supremely just. He's not arbitrary, you know, just taking out on great-great-grandkids what great-great-grandparents did. What's going on there in Exodus 20, and it's repeated in several other verses in the Bible, is, is God is giving instruction to the children of Israel, and it's in the, that context that he says, the iniquity is passed down to the third and fourth generation. Uh, what he's, it, this is a word to parents. And what he's saying is, you don't live to yourself. What you do gets passed on. Uh, you, you, every decision you make is a ripple effect, not just in your immediate environment, but when you have kids, your kids absorb that ripple effect, and all other things being equal, they'll pass on that ripple effect to their kids and them to, to, to their kids, and so it goes on and on. God does it, as this verse says, only in the typical Old Testament sense that God's the creator and set up the rules. But God's not out there individually applying the sins of the great-great-grandparents on the great-great-grandchildren. Uh, he's simply saying uh, that life being what it is and our responsibility being what it is, that, that, that uh, things will get passed on to our children. So the sin of sexual abuse tends to be passed on to the third and fourth generation. And the sin of violence and abandonment and shame and alcoholism and many other things tend to be passed on to the third and fourth generation. 
The good news is that it doesn't have to be that way. That's the good news. Now, unless something happens, that is the way it's going to be. The world's structured like that, but it doesn't have to be like that. Uh, when a person surrenders their life to Christ and becomes part of the kingdom, it certainly doesn't have to be like that, and it shouldn't be like that. In Christ, you got to know that you're a child of the king, and you, you don't need to be a domino in someone else's domino chain. Uh-uh. Amen. And, and in, Christ, in Christ, you can be set free. In Christ, you don't have to live as a footnote to someone else's sin. In Christ, you don't have to be defined by what happened to you in the distant past. In Christ, you don't need to be chained to the bondage of the past. In Christ, uh, you're not to be defined by what mom or dad or grandma or grandpa did. You're to be defined by what Jesus did for you on Calvary. And all your life and all your worth and all your value is found in him. Amen. In Christ, you can be set free. In Christ, you can be filled with the Spirit. In Christ, you're not a, a domino in someone else's domino chain. In Christ, you start your own domino chain. Uh, there's a new beginning starting right now, and subsequent generations are going to be blessed by the way I'm going to parent my kids right now. In Christ, you start a new chain, and it's not a chain of dysfunction and sin and shame and, and, and emotional detachment. It, it, it's a new chain of Christ-like love. It's a new chain of grace. It's a new chain of caring. It's a new chain of biblical teaching. And that also has ripple effects to the third and fourth generation. But the chain, the chain has got to be broken. And just because you surrender your life to Christ doesn't mean that it's magically broken. All of us who have been Christians and yet part of a domino chain understand that point. Uh, and just because you took authority over a principality and power doesn't mean the chain is magically broken. That's a good thing to do. But there's more that needs to be done. The only thing the only thing that breaks the chain as it applies to our life, I submit to you, is Christ-like forgiveness. Wounded people wound people, and wounded parents wound kids who become wounded parents who wound kids, but you don't need to stay wounded, and the thing that's going to get you healed is Christ-like love, Christ-like forgiveness. Now listen up on this. The reason is because the thing that keeps the dominoes falling, what fuels it, is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness passed on from generation to generation keeps those dominoes falling. The principle is this. That which you despise clings to you. The very act of despising it is, is you clinging to it and therefore it clings to you. Hatred or, or being revolted by something is a strong form of, 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 of holding on to something. We don't normally learn from that which we despise. Rather, we simply internalize it and are polluted by it. Now, now we're complex creatures, and so the way that we manifest the internalization of that which we despise will vary from person to person. Uh, one person who was maybe uh, abused as a kid will grow up to be an abusing uh, parent. They'll repeat what was done to them. Others, however, maybe who are abused will grow up to be a parent who's afraid of discipline at all. They overreact against it. But either way, the dominoes are still falling. The curse is still there. You, you, we, we, that which, which you despise clings to you. The only way to break it, and this is the kingdom principle that is to apply to all of our life, every relationship, every issue, every confrontation, the kingdom principle that breaks that bondage of dominoes. It's, more, it's succinctly articulated in Romans chapter 2 when Paul says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. All evil with good. Past evil with good. Present evil with good. Whether we're talking about 
present evil, present enemies, or past evil and past enemies. The only force in the cosmos that is strong enough to break the monumental momentum of generational dominoes falling on you. The only force that's strong enough to keep you from, being, from internalizing evil is Christ-like love. It's Christ-like forgiveness. It's being Jesus towards your past just as you're called to be Jesus towards your present. It's Jesus dying on Calvary for the very people who are crucifying him as he prays, Father, forgive them. Uh, until we can uh, have that attitude towards what has happened in our past, we're going to have a hard time having that attitude towards things in the present because we'll continue to be polluted by the past. Evil overcomes good when we live in this perpetual hatred of it. Uh, we're going to hate evil, but when you hate the particular people and things that were done to you, well, it's a form of bondage. To the extent that we're not Christ-like to our past, forgiving our enemies, overcoming evil with good, to that point, to that degree, we'll have a lot of trouble being Christ-like in the present to our kids, Christ-like to our neighbors, Christ-like to our enemies. You can put it like this. Until you can forgive the person who abused you sexually, uh, that person still has power over you. You know what I'm saying? I, I, until you can forgive the alcoholic father, they're still, to some degree, going to be defining you. Until you can forgive the person who did violence towards you, uh, they're, they, they, they're still going to be polluting your life. Until you can forgive the mother or the father or the grandfather who shamed you, overcoming their evil with your good. Uh, until that happens, to some degree, you're going to be defined by, polluted by, the evil that you are internalizing. The one thing that can break that force is Christ-like forgiveness, where you forgive, you release what happened in the past. Now, when I say forgiveness, I don't mean that, that uh, you, you're to condone what happened. No. Or to, you're, to, you're to minimize what happened. You're to whitewash what happened. It wasn't that bad. That's not what forgiveness means. In fact, forgiveness doesn't mean that now you want to hang out with them, that you're going to like them, that you're going to trust them. They may not be trustworthy and they may not be likable. Forgiveness has nothing to do with that. Forgiveness has to do with one thing, and that is releasing a debt. You turn over the wrong done to you, you turn to God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I can handle it, you can't. And so you turn it over to God, and you know that God, the judge of the world, will do the right thing at the right time uh, to the right people, and you trust him with that. Your job is not to be exacting vengeance, so you forgive, you release the debt. You get your life from Christ, not from holding an account open. That's what unforgiveness is. You owe me, you should not have for forgiveness means that you stop uh, clinging to that past. You stop despising it. You stop wishing that it was different. You stop living in regret for what was done to you or what you yourself did. Forgiveness means freedom. Forgiveness means the chain of dominoes can finally end. Forgiveness means you stop being defined by the past. Forgiveness means you stop being a footnote to someone else's sin. Forgiveness means you let go of the baggage, just let go of it. You start in the present and you move on. Forgiveness means there's no more bondage, there's no more chains. Forgiveness means you're now free. You're now free to be Christ-like towards your kids. That breaks the domino curse. It stops the thing mid-track. If, 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 if we're going to be kingdom parents, turning our kingdom hearts towards our kids, We've got to break the pollution of the domino chains that infiltrate into our life, and the one way to do it is forgiveness. Think for a moment here. Are there people in your past that need to be forgiven, that you're clinging to because they shouldn't have done what they did? And why, why weren't my parents different? Why wasn't my childhood different? You can live your entire life like that. It, it sucks life and energy out of you. That's how the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Don't do that. 
Don't do that. You're empowering them. I realized this with my stepmother at one point. It's like, you know what? She, so much of what I am is the result of her, and I hate that. Uh, you know, my anger is, is her authority. She's still in my head. She's still doing all this stuff right there in my head. My very act of despising it is clinging to it, keeping her hanging around with her voice doing those things affecting my life. You, you, you can't overcome evil with evil. It doesn't work. The world thinks you can. It can't. You just, it just perpetuates it. Only good can overcome evil, and it's the good of Calvary love. It's the good of Christ-like forgiveness, where you just say, you know what? I don't, I, 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 God will take care of you. I'm, I, I release you. And now I start where I'm at right now, and I move into the future. And if you're a believer, your future looks very, very bright. Move into it. Kingdom parents, depollute your heart to turn kingdom hearts to your kids. Principle number three. Principle number four. Let your children inherit your faith. Oh, wow. Let your children inherit your faith. I did this big research on uh, um, a parenting in the Bible as I was preparing for this message. I really did. And what I found was the number one, there's a whole lot that I'm not saying right now. We'll come to it at another point. But the number one responsibility that parents have towards their kids is uh, to teach their kids about the Lord, to teach their kids about the faith. You find it all over the place. What, what is life about? Uh, you know, what role does God have? What value should we? That's the number one responsibility of parents uh, in, in the Bible. You find hundreds of verses like this in, in Deuteronomy 11. You shall put these words of mine, the Lord says, in your heart and, and soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and fix them as an emblem on your forehead. Teach them to your children. Go out of your way. Teach them to the children. Talk about these things when you're at home. Talk about these things when you're away. Talk about these things when you're going to lie down and go to bed at night. And talk about these things when you're going to rise up in the morning and start your day. The number one job of parents is to teach their kids, which means the number one job of parents is to let the kids in on the inside of their faith. Uh, to let them see their heart and, and, and their own relationship. And to teach them those principles. Now, I'm going to confess this to you. I think... If someone asked me, Greg, what is the, the, the uh, what was your greatest failure as a parent? It's, it's what I just told parents here to do. I, uh, as I look back on it, um, I didn't do that enough. I didn't, I, 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 it never got natural for us just to have, be talking Jesus, Jesus on our lips. Uh, I, I, I didn't, I had so much going on in my life that I could have shared. I look back on it, but there was like something that I inherited. Maybe it's a generational curse kind of a thing, but something I inherited that you just don't do that in families. I didn't have any model of that in, in, my, in my life, of talking about the Lord. And, it's like faith is to be a private thing. On top of that, the only time that my family ever did faith uh, was we would go to church on Sundays, and that was a miserable affair. And then we'd have, uh, for a period of time, a year or two, we had family devotions. And it was always my stepmother who was the staunch religion person in the family. My dad didn't care, and the rest of us didn't care. But we had to, to keep peace in the house, had these devotions, and they were torturous. Uh, you know, I'm a hyperactive kid, and you gotta, we had to kneel for an hour with a rosary, you know, and, and, and we all had to say these rosaries while we're facing a statue. And it was, it was like, uh, it was very painful, and if we started at all not paying attention, uh, we, 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 it w wasn't nice. <laughs> uh, okay, so in my head, family devotions aren't pleasant things, and I'm not trying to shirk responsibility here. I think I just blew it. But, but, but th th that's an example of how generational curses get done. If I had to do it over again, man, I, every insight I ever got from the Bible, I'd share it with my kids. I didn't do that much. Uh, every testimony I ever heard, I, I'd share it with my kids. I didn't do that much. Every experience I had, I'd share it with my kids. I didn't do that enough. 
I, I, it didn't become part of the atmosphere of the home. Plus, my wife and I, you know, for the first 15 years of our marriage, we never were hitting on all pistons in our devotional life. And so I think it percolates over into the, uh, in, into the family. It just never got natural for us, you know. Uh, couples, if you're newly married couples, get that one down at the start. Whatever you got to do. Find a way to make it so you can do devotions together. And we, all, we did it, but it was always kind of that awkward thing. It just didn't like, I don't know what it was. It just... No, you know what? I got to let that go. I got to let that go because uh, there's no point in living in regret. I did the best I could for, with what I knew. And, and, and now, now you, you put it under the blood of Jesus and you move on with life because there's no sense in looking back. And there are parents here who I bet you're past the parenting stage where you can greatly influence your kids and you're looking at it, your life now and you're thinking, why didn't I do more? Why didn't I did do more? And, you know, probably all of us to some degree live in that. Uh, hindsight's always 20-20, isn't it? It's also useless, <laughs> except insofar as you can learn from it and move into the future. What's past is past. You did your best. You leave it. You put it in the blood of Jesus Christ. God, ask God to bring good out of it and move into your future. Uh, don't be crying. Spend the rest of your life regretting if only, if only, if only. You move on. But to those of you who are, who are entering that parenting stage or in the middle of this parenting stage or someday may be parents, uh, hear this word. Uh, let Jesus be on your lips all the time. Don't don't ever privatize your faith. Whatever you go through, tell your kids about it. Even if it's not necessarily a positive thing. Now, be appropriate there, but, but let your kids on the inside. You have a relationship with God that's real, and let them see that reality. Talk about it. Uh, when they rise up in the morning, didn't God give us a good day? When they go to bed at night, uh, don't force it on them, but just permeate the atmosphere so they're breathing it. Even more important than talking about it is living it. What, what you say is important, but what you live is far more important. You teach your kids with your life far more than what you teach them with your words. Uh, parents, you got to know this. Your kids are video cameras. They're, they're, they're video cameras, and they're always watching you. There's no off button except when they go to sleep. Uh, they're always watching you every single move, and they're absorbing they're absorbing everything you do. In fact, your words will only have credibility to them insofar as they reflect what they see. What they see is more foundational than what they hear. And if what they hear doesn't align with what they see, at best, what they hear is not going to make any difference to them. At worst, it will make them cynical. What kids see hits a more profound level than what they hear, except insofar as what they hear confirms what they see. I got a lot of religion growing up, a lot of religion. It was talked about a lot, not, not, not so much around the house, although we had our Wednesday night times and we had our Sunday times and we had good Fridays where we couldn't eat meat and we had, uh, you know, you couldn't eat before communion. This is pre-Vatican II, Catholicism. And we had a lot of rules like that, you know, but, but there's no reality. There was never any reality. I went to Catholic school and there's a lot of teaching. Oh, I got the stories and all the principles and the shoulds and all of that kind of stuff. But, but I had to go to catechism class on Wednesday nights for nine years, and I, I, I had all this stuff. I mean, a lot of talk. The minute my mom moved out of the house and the family blew apart, she was the driver of the whole religion thing, and, and, he, and he talked about an incongruity of life and teaching. That was kind of the epitome of it. Uh, but it, as soon as she left, it, it never even occurred to me to go to church again. Never occurred. To, it, I dropped it like a hot potato, and I didn't even have to. It, it, it just wasn't there. I was as pagan two days after my mom left, as I would have been if I was raised in a total atheist home. Nothing stuck. None of the teaching stuck. But there was one thing that stuck. 
And that's something I saw in my dad. I watched my dad. Now, my dad was, by any kind of normal, certainly Christian standards, not the epitome of, a, of, 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 of the moral example father uh, type of guy. He, he was a heavy drinking, chain smoking, uh, you know, womanizing cusser. The guy swore like a, like a drunken sailor on a holy day. I mean, he was, he, he, he just, he, he, was a, he, was, he was the most intelligent base person I've, I've ever met. He just, weird combination. He, it, was, it was odd. Um, and and I, there were times where he railed against God, a God he didn't believe in. He was angry much of the time. Uh, you know, not, and, and so far as I could tell, once, once uh, my, my mom and dad got divorced, I, I don't think the guy had any sexual morals whatsoever, none. Uh, he, th- there was pornography all around the house, and he would come back. I'd be 14 years old. I lived with him from the age of 12 on. He'd come back, and he'd tell me about his sexual exploits while he's out traveling around the country, you know, doing sales. I mean, that's, when I look back on it, that wasn't very appropriate, I don't think. Do you, I, I, okay, so my dad gets no awards, you know, for moral excellence in parenting. But I was watching him, and there's one thing that I watched that really got in deep. Uh, my dad, for all of his faults, he believed in social justice. Uh, he was, uh, he, he lived that, he breathed that. That was, that was a heartbeat of his. And as a kid, without knowing it, I was watching him. I was watching him all that. I remember in the civil rights movement, the, the guy half the time was ready to pop. Uh, he was constantly talking about it, and, and he was going to political rallies and stuff. And I saw him swearing like the drunken sailor at, the, at George Wallace on, on television. You know, you racist, and I can't even repeat what he was saying. And, you know, but I was, I was watching that. I was absorbing it. Now, there's some bad things I'm absorbing in the process of that, but there's a good thing I'm absorbing, and that's about social justice. I remember when my dad, uh, I, I, I didn't understand. I was about 13 years old or so, but Martin Luther King uh, was, was assassinated, and my dad cried uncontrollably. I'd never seen that with him. And he wasn't drunk. He sobbed sometimes when he was drunk, and he was drunk quite a bit, but he wasn't drunk here. He was just watching television, and he was bawling. And, and, and he couldn't even, couldn't even tell me, uh, speak, uh, what had happened. It took him a while before he could even tell me. Now, I, I didn't know who Martin Luther King was, but man, he must have been really important for my dad, who never cries to be born like this. Yeah, the camera is rolling, and I am absorbing. I mean, the two, next day or the day after, his best friend came over and made a joke about it. Brought over some weeds and says, oh, here's my memorial. Uh, for Martin Luther King. What I didn't know was that uh, having a white guy cry like that for Martin Luther King was pretty rare, I guess. I, I, I thought that was what normal people did because my dad's doing it. This guy came over and made a joke about it, and that was the last time my dad ever... T- I, I thought he was going to kill like, this guy. Uh, and uh, that was the last time they spoke. Now, that wasn't a godly way. That was not a good example of how to deal with conflict and, and how to address sin, okay? But there was a principle that, that, that was being installed in me. Now, later on in life, a couple years later, I'm rebelling against the world. I'm rebelling against my dad. I'm rebelling against everybody. I don't want anything to do with my dad. I don't think, the, I, 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 in my mind, there's not one thing that I'm doing that, that he believes in. But I'm in class in 10th grade. And uh, in 10th grade, I, I had this uh, afro, big afro. It was kind of back in. And there you go, see. Okay, see that? that. Okay, now I... That I was going to prom, and I got a cut for prom, okay, so it was bigger than that. I had this humongous afro, and uh, <laughs> things have changed, huh? <laughs> yeah. 
See, that was part of my rebellion. I, I, I went, uh, you know, for uh, I, pretty close to two years without ever cutting my hair because my dad wanted me to wear short hair. He was always mad at it, which meant that's why I'm going to have long hair. So I had this huge afro, and uh, uh, I, I'm in 10th grade class, and as usual, I'm not paying attention to the class or anything like that. I'm flirting with this girl who's kind of cute, and I'm thinking about asking her out, and we're, we're having fun and, and, and whatnot. At some point, she says... Um, she goes, Greg, oh, and I had this big pick in my hair, too. And that, that, that was, you know, and it said, this is the 70s, you know. That's cool. Shaft. Or, uh, <laughs> you remember the show? Superfly. <laughs> okay, so I got this pick in my hair, and then what happened is, is we're, oh, I got new shoes, too. Do you notice these nice and bright? Got special anointing. So we're talking here, and um, at one point she says, uh, Greg, why do you have a pick in your hair? I, I said, well, it's the safest place to keep it. You know, it's not going to fall out. And then she goes, well, and she was saying it kind of off the cuff, but she goes, you look like a stupid, and then she uses the N-word. And I can't describe to you, I, I, without thinking, I all of a sudden, the, the, my, my face got hot. There was this surge of energy and I was, I was kind of crazy. I mean, she looked at me like, 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 what, 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 you know? And I was livid. And in the middle of this class, we were like, you know, flirting quietly in the corner. I stood up and I just said, you racist. And now all of a sudden the other tapes that my dad, you know, I inherited, start playing. And, and you know, that, that's not the right godly way of handling this stuff. But, but I just exploded. Then I got taken to the principal's office, you know, for the words that I said. And she never even got scolded for the words she said. That's how it was in my school. But uh, my point is this. Even when I was in a state of rebellion against my father, I had my father on the inside. Because see, I, I, I've been watching him. And what you see, you internalize. And whereas what you hear will drop, it, it goes nowhere, water on a duck's back, unless it's confirmed with reality. Whereas what you hear may not make any difference later on. What you see, what a kid sees as they're watching the video cameras rolling makes a profound impact in their life. And they got to make, they still got free will. They can still break from, from the, the path that you've set for them. But you got to work at it. It would be, I would have had to work at not caring about social issues. Because it was such a part of me. It's what I was breathing. I inherited that from my dad. Parents or, and future parents. And factly, in fact, all kingdom people know this. Paul says that your life is a living epistle known and read of all people. The cameras are all, always rolling. And nowhere is that more important and more influential than when it comes to parents. The best thing you can do, we go, come full circle here. Go back to principle number one. Parents, if you're going to be kingdom parents, you first of all have got to be getting life. Uh, to the extent that your faith is not an outflowing of a reality, a life that's in you where it's natural, to that extent it will be religion, to that extent it won't be watched by the kids, to that extent it will simply be talked about, and to that extent it's not likely to stick. If you, if you want to raise up kingdom kids and that's the purpose for the whole thing, you, it first of all has got to be real for you, real in, on the inside, where you're getting your life from Christ. It's a reality thing. And then talk about it. Don't privatize it. Uh, just make it a natural thing at the supper table and when they're rising and when they're going to bed. Talk about it, but even more importantly, live it. Because as Christ is formed in you, see, as Christ is formed in you, the cameras are rolling, and they'll see, 
They'll, they'll, they'll internalize the value of loving Jesus. As, as Christ is manifest in you, they'll see the value of, of, of being anti-racist. As Christ is formed in you, they'll see the value of caring about the poor. As Christ is formed in you, they'll see the value of swimming upstream American culture and, and not just living for yourself. As Christ is formed in you, they'll see the value of and internalize the value of, of church and the ministry and, 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 and uh, you know, working for the kingdom. And now your words will simply clarify what they're already seeing with your action. And now your kingdom life is becoming their kingdom life. And that is the most fundamental purpose for families in the first place. To have a domino effect that's not dysfunction and sin, but that is passing on the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. Would you stand? I want to close in prayer. If you're here this morning and uh, you... Have any need whatsoever that you'd like to have prayed for, you're welcome to come. Uh, we invite you. We ask you to come forward. Our, our, our prayer teams will come up right now and stand up here. If you'd like them to pray for any need that you have, it may be a parenting issue. It may be something else. We encourage you to do that. If you're here this morning and you don't know the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, you've never surrendered your life to Christ, maybe you're a religious person. That is irrelevant. The question is, is, is there a reality there? And you'd like to find out more about making that real. We got, we'd love to talk to you. Up here to my right, your left, there's a person who would just love to spend a minute or two giving you some free literature and explaining to you what that is all about. Will you close your eyes in prayer? And Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name as we go out of this place that we'd be bridge builders, that we'd be kingdom builders. And I pray especially, and I join with others who are right now praying especially that uh, for the parents and the future parents of Woodland Hills. Uh, Father, um, help them to get life from you. For the couples, Lord, help them to have a life together, uh, Lord God, and help them to uh, break the domino chain of pollution from the past to be defined by you and not their own upbringing. And Father, help them to live and teach the kingdom by what they say and by what they do. For all of us, Lord God, set us free from the bondage of the past. For all of us, Lord God, help us to get our life from you. For all of us, Lord God, help us to be walking advertisements of the beauty of the kingdom. Only through your Spirit can we ever hope to do that. Holy Spirit, be flowing in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said one more time, Amen. God bless you guys. Go out and do the kingdom. The front of the auditorium is open. Amen.